as what I thought was going to be just a clerk typing job. And I had two very insightful managers, one with a Stanford MBA and the other with a Harvard MBA, who said my contribution to changing the world will be to take a female of color and give her a real job. So I was given a job in marketing. And at that point, the only thing I thought marketing was was going to the supermarket. I had no idea. And through these people, I learned so much. And um, I went off to Antioch College in Ohio. And Antioch was a work-study program. I don't know if you know Antioch College. And it, the best way to describe it is it's like a Montessori university, you know, where you sort of go to college and you sort of work at your own pace and you develop these um, ideas about who you are in the world. You know, they had no exams. Everything was pass-fail. And you had to sit with your professors and, and have conversations about your work so they could really tell if you knew what you were doing and studying and learning. And they believed in being a citizen of the world. So they pushed you into international travel and education that way. But they had a work-study program. And when General Boots heard that I had the work-study program, I would go back and forth. Sometimes I would go out into the world and travel. Other times I'd go back to General Foods, like work and live at home and save money. And so I had a chance to see over the five-year program that Antioch was, I could see what the value was of an MBA. I saw so many women. That was the time when women were starting to come into the, into the workforce with graduate degrees. And what I saw was a glass ceiling because I would be there, meet these wonderful few, not many, women or African-American men. And then I leave to go to campus, and then I come back six months later, and those people are gone. And I say, well, where's Lois? Where's so-and-so? And they would say, oh, she couldn't get promoted, so she had to go and work for Lever Brothers, or she had to go take a job at Johnson & Johnson and get the promotion. And I just saw the glass ceiling, and I knew it was a black female. <laughs> I had two glass ceilings. And that's when I thought right then and there, I think I really want to run my own. I want to be like my dad and run my own business. And that's where it came from. And then witnessing all these brilliant minds, coming out of these MBA programs, I thought, well, I should probably still get an MBA because I have the training that I need and then eventually run my own business. And so that was the plan. And because I had these two mentors who were from Columbia, I'm sorry, Stanford and Harvard, those are the two schools I applied to. So I figured if I was going to work that hard, it was going to be one of those two schools. And I used Columbia since I was a New Yorker as my safety school. If I didn't get those two, then I'd consider an application to Columbia. They had a rolling admission. So that was an opportunity. And when I went to Stanford, my game plan was to be an entrepreneur. I, I knew already from what I had seen in those days of General Foods that I just didn't want to spend that kind of energy fighting a glass ceiling. I'd rather, I'd rather be on my own. So that's how I got there. Long answer, but that's how I landed in entrepreneurial land. What a wonderful journey. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's an amazing thing because you grew up in White Plains. I lived in Hartsdale. Oh, you're kidding. No, no, I'm serious. So I was just kind of laughing. And, and I, when I lived in White Plains. I know. It's, it's so fun. It really uh, is. And I, I went to Sacred Heart Church. Oh, my gosh. I went to Sacred Heart School. Oh, we were probably <laughs> together. I, school. I used to sing in the guitar mass oh on Sunday God. mornings. I started that guitar mass. I was still in grammar school, and oh. I started a guitar mass, our 1030 service that oh. I used to sing at. Yep. Oh, how funny. You know, it's a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. But Speaking that's funny. Music. You started guitar mass, right? That was your yeah. first, really, right? That yeah. was your first entrepreneurial experience. I, and mine was. was in school as well. In the fifth grade, we had a reading room, but all the kids could read well, so it was never used. And I negotiated with my fifth grade teacher to be able to use it as the Diana Sands fan club head office. Diana Sands was an actress back in the 60s. I don't know if you know the name. Yeah. Yeah, well, she's my cousin. So I grew up with her in the family, 
I have this Broadway pedigree from uh, from family. She did six Broadway shows in the '60s, which is quite amazing. That was before even Bernadette Peters had done that many shows. Um, and so I was able to use that space for the Diana Sands Fan Club, and that was my very first business. So I'm I'm right there with you. Oh, how fun! You know, so in the whole music aspect of it. In meeting, I know you met Bob Marley, and what about him and his music inspired you and One Firelight? Oh, gosh, I tell you, it's so interesting, because it really, it starts again with Diana Sands. You know, she was in the original production of A Raisin in the Sun on Broadway in 1959. She played Benita, Sidney Poitier's kid sister, and she's, you know, it did the movie as well. And we were very close, you know, she was like, the older cousin who wasn't quite as old as my mom, but not young like me. And so she was the one I would hang out with. And of course she was glamorous and on Broadway and in the movie magazines from when she started doing uh, film. And, uh, and I just adored her. And she would come to my high school. I used to produce her in things at Woodlands High School. She would come and do readings. Oh, yes. Oh, it was so much fun. Oh, I went to high school. <laughs> no, you're kidding me. <laughs> Oh, my God. We'll have to talk about different teachers that we loved later, right? Is, I had no idea. How fun. You know, see why I love what I do? This is why I love what I do. All right, so go back. Tell us about so, Bob Marley. So, so in 1970 is when I graduated, and I went off to Antioch College, and I had this program where I wound up going to Africa for a summer, working in a very Peace Corps-like program, building a school in Ghana. And my cousin, Diana Sands, was doing a film in Sweden called Georgia, Georgia, which had been written by Maya Angelou. And she was so excited. The two of us were the you know, adventurous ones in the family. I was in Africa. She was in Sweden. And we should get together. It's like, uh, you don't understand. I, I'm just sitting here building a school. I don't have a phone. I don't have any of that kind of stuff. So these were letters back and forth to my mom. So then in 73... She took very ill uh, and died of a very rare form of cancer, and it was sudden. We found out in July she was sick, and she died September 21st, 1973. It was the height of Watergate. There was so much going on, but in my world, it was just I was losing my best friend. And I was traumatized, and I went back to Antioch to try to, you know, continue with my education, and I realized I just couldn't function. And so the beautiful thing about Antioch is you could always write a proposal and say, gee, I'd like to study this in this part of the world, and as long as it made sense to your academic advisor, we were allowed to do it. And I knew I was a dual major, communications and administration, and I knew I just couldn't focus on, on serious stuff. I was so busy grieving, and I had no way of processing this grief. And this, believe me, this gets to Bob Marley. This, this does get there. I was processing this grief, and so I wrote a proposal that I go to study art and dance as part of my communications degree in Jamaica, because I had been to Jamaica before, and I found it to be a very healing environment. I just, there was something about the island that was just so special to me, and I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a place where I could go and heal. So I went to Jamaica, and I had a roommate who was also traumatized from her own life, and, you know, life attracts life, so we were both just traumatized, and she had a friend who was living with this musician who was Rastafarian, and she was an American girl from Philly trying to figure out how do I fit into this Rastafarian culture. And so we used to just go over there every day. I'd go to my art classes and then my dance classes, and then we'd go to this house at 56 Hope Road. Well, it turned out that musician was Bob Marley, but it was before he was famous. This was 1974. And he, you know, really crossed over in 76 when people started hearing about him and understanding his music. So to me, he was just another Rastafarian 
playing music, you know, and I grew up with two brothers in the 60s who were both musicians. And, you know, because of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, the influence of the 60s, everybody had a band. So it wasn't odd to me that I was in a place with a band and a guy named Peter Tosh and Funny Whaler would come and play. And I just had, it was just so interesting. But I was still in this place of pain. I was really in deep, deep depression. Now I understand that's what it was. But of course, there was no diagnosis. It was just, I'm sad because my cousin died, you know. But I was in sort of a reckless mode. I, I just couldn't even focus, you know. And I brought my Stanford application because at least I had gotten that far to know I wanted to apply for graduate school. But everything just broke down for me. And my Stanford application became the place where I cleaned my weed. So I had all my, my marijuana there lined up and I cleaned the seeds and then go to Bob's house and smoke more marijuana and just hang out. <laughs> and so we would be, the three of us African-American women would be sitting on the floor because Bob had no furniture. So we always sat on the floor and we were smoking weed and talking stories and sharing stuff. And Bob would come in and he'd do his little workout. You know, one of those things where he'd pull, you know, from the wall, the bench uh, press, I guess they called it. Mm-hmm. And he would just stare at us. And I would always find this energy. He, I felt like he was staring at me and I couldn't figure out what that was about. And I'm really just telling you, the honest truth of what happened. And day after day after day, this experience would happen. And so then we would often go into the yard where he would rehearse the band. Now, I had no idea that they were rehearsing for their big London concert. I had no idea, you know, and because we didn't really hang out, you know, in that culture, women are with women and men are with men. So I never knew what the men were doing other than playing their instruments, right? And this one night, he was playing No Woman, No Cry. The band was rehearsing. And we were there hanging out, you know, smoking the ganja and feeling really chill and listening to the music. And he stared at me the entire time, locked my gaze, and sent me this telepathic message that said, you have got to let this pain go. You have got to release it. And by the time he had finished that song, it's like he just pulled all of this venom and anger. I was mad at God. I was mad at the world. I was mad at my cousin Todd. I was mad at everybody. He just pulled all of that away. And I could just feel it drain from my body. The man was a shaman. The man was a shaman. And I witnessed it. I experienced it. And I got to tell you, I left his house that night. I went back, cleaned off my Stanford application, filled it out, sent it in, managed to have enough brain cells working to take the graduate record exams and score high. And when I finished in Jamaica, went back and graduated Antioch and went off to Stanford University. But I had never forgotten that this man saved my life because I don't think I was going to make it out of Jamaica. I was really, really depressed. And, you know, I had a boyfriend. I was riding on the back of his motorcycle, no helmet. We'd go up and around the hills. And all it would take is one little flip on a rock. And I'm in a valley for the rest of my life. It's, you know, turning into a skeleton dead. I mean, I, and I didn't care. You know, that's the sad thing. And, of course, now I understand that was depression back then, especially in the black community. We never used that word. You know, we went to church. (laughs) We didn't go to therapists, you know. And Bob saved my life. And I've never forgotten that. That is so, wow. I'm I'm so speechless, but I do understand exactly what you're saying, Mm -hmm. especially about him being a shaman. Mm -hmm. Because if you really listen to his music, there's so much being said. There really is so much being said. So mm-hmm. how remarkable. Oh, and there so, was so much music that he created. So right. much. So there's an album, Bob Marley Live, his first live album, and it was filmed in London. Um, he went to perform, and this was a big concert. You know, was a big, I've read books now, so I know what was going on at that time, reading his biographies. And this is a big, big, big debut for him that Chris Blackwell had organized. And when they, they had several nights of performance, 
And after the first night, he was blown away that almost everybody in the audience knew his music and sang along with him. So he very quickly negotiated to get the Rolling Stones portable recording unit and recorded the second night. And that became the live album. But I was in all those rehearsals, not knowing what I was doing, but I was a part of those rehearsals with No Woman, No Cry and Trenchtown Rock and all those major songs that he came out with at the time. By then, you know, I was off at, at Stanford working on my MBA and really, really focused. I mean, coming out of a uh, free-form school like Antioch to a super competitive experience with everybody else who came from Dartmouth and, you know, Yale. And I'm like, uh, actually, we never had tests. <laughs> you know? And suddenly I, I go to an exam and I forget to bring a pencil and everybody else has 10 pencils lined up sharp and just, you know, <laughs> the calculator charge. And I forgot to even charge my calculator. I mean, all of that. So I spent all my time studying. So even though I was hearing of Bob Rising and moving on and performing at Berkeley in different places, I really didn't have the time to go and see him. And I figured, you know, I'll catch him later. I wasn't running around behind him. I spent time in his house and spent time in that experience. So I didn't feel the need to have to run and see the concert or go backstage or anything like that. And I figured I had time. And then I graduated from Stanford in 77. I was pregnant with my daughter in 1981. And he died right after Mother's Day in 1981. And my daughter was born in September, so I always believe that their spirits passed. Oh. Communication that they must have had along the way. He must have said, take good care of your mom. And she probably said, thanks for taking care of my mom. Or some, something happened because there's always been this sort of magical energy with her and with Bob ever since. Oh. Think of what Catherine just said. We're going to take a quick break and say thank you to our sponsors. But really, feel the peace of that. That was beautiful. We'll be right back on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to U.S. survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information. Are you experiencing insomnia, brain fog, hot flashes, mood swings, and more? These are many of the symptoms women experience on a daily basis affecting the health of their brain and increasing the risk for dementias like Alzheimer's disease down the road. A healthy lifestyle can make a big difference for the health of the brain, but Brain Love Health took it further and created an innovative nutritional supplement, especially for women, to support us through this transitional time while also promoting better sleep and long-term brain health. Don't wait any longer to help your brain age well. Why let it deteriorate? The health of your brain is in your hands. To begin protecting it today, visit Brain Love Health. Dot com. That's B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just 
for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back on Word of Mom Radio. We are talking with Catherine Leary. I can't even tell you how much I am loving this conversation. And I want to talk about One Firelight mm-hmm. and how that inspiration happened for you. Well, you know, it's so interesting. I worked for 10 years in corporate America, and I gave myself 10 years to learn as much as I could before I went out on my own. And then I started an ad agency. For myself, I was working on Madison Avenue in the advertising business, and then I started an agency that specialized in black consumer market agent uh, advertising, and I ran that for four years with a partner, and then I split off from there and went into international marketing, and I spent my time in Japan and in South Africa helping American companies do business there. I was always an exploratory kind of person, looking in the world to see what was interesting and what could I use my skills in a different way. And then I discovered, as I was getting older, I discovered yoga. I thought, oh, it's time to, you know, take a different approach to fitness for my own body. And I loved it so much. After five, six years of practicing, I became a yoga instructor. I went and I trained in Bikram yoga, the hot yoga, 90-minute practice. <laughs> and that's a fun story. I'll tell you about my struggle with teacher training and what my daughter gave me as a graduation gift, which is why we have to love our kids so much. They, they, they witness us. They see what we do, and they give us the best gift. And I'll tell you about that later. So there was a time where... Millennials started coming into the business, into, into the yoga world, and so everybody's trying to figure out, well, how do you keep them engaged with something like yoga? And so we started all playing around with music, using music in classes. So I thought, well, I'd like to do something with Bob's music, you know? And so I did. I spent about three months listening to all of this music and thinking about the 26 postures that I taught in that yoga series, and I matched, you know, I matched the songs to the postures, the, the message in the songs with the intention of the postures, what part of the body is being revitalized, what's happening. And I created this wonderful series that people loved. And I taught it lots of different studios. I taught it in Jamaica. I taught it all over the place. And then I started thinking, you know, this music is so healing. People would say to me, I've gone deeper in my yoga practice than I ever had before. I mean, it must be the music. And I remembered that Bob was a healer, that he was a shaman, and it's still coming through in his music today. I mean, what other artists do you still hear on a regular basis? You can turn on the radio, turn on the TV and hear a commercial with the Sandals ad, One Love playing, you know, Three Little Birds playing for a security company right now that I hear all the time on the news and on the, on the TV. And that's really that power that Bob had in his music. He knew, he knew how to program the music so it felt healing and it felt empowering. And then I was witnessing it with people taking this class and coming away with a stronger yoga practice. So that's what led to this idea of putting together a program where it combines the music of Bob Marley. And I started with yoga, but then I decided to expand into other areas of fitness. So we have Pilates, we have strength training, we have dance, we have cardio, we have meditation, we have sound healing, we have all kinds of modalities that are set to Bob's music and his grandson Skip Marley's music and also other conscious artists in the Blue Mountain catalog of Universal Music. As you're doing this, this is you working with your daughter on this, correct? Yeah. What is that like? As a mompreneur, it's got to be the most amazing thing in the world to have your daughter working alongside you. So how did it happen and how do you balance? 
It is fantastic. And I, ha- I, I have to tell you a story. I have to tell you. So you have a sense of who my daughter is, right? So when I was in um, teacher training, I was uh, for yoga teacher training, I spent nine weeks in Mexico. I had to go to Mexico to train. And so by now, my daughter who does not do yoga. She is a gym rat. And she starts wondering, okay, it's cool that you like yoga and it's cool you want to be a teacher, but why do you have to go to Mexico for nine weeks? I don't understand this. So she thought I had joined a cult. So she arranged for her calling plan to call me for seven cents a minute in Mexico. And she called me every single night to make sure I hadn't drunk any Kool-Aid or I wasn't talking out of my head that, that I was safe. And all I did when she called was whine and cry about, oh, this is so hard. I can't learn the dialogue. You know, because we, we had to memorize the dialogue for each of 26 postures. And every day we had to deliver a new dialogue. And I was like, I get up and I can't say anything. And she said, Mom, calm down. At this point, I was 56 years old in training. And everybody else was like 20 and 22, 23. She said, Mom, you're in with all these people that all they've done for the last 15 years is memorize. You haven't memorized anything in 30 years. So just let it go. Just do the best you can. And when you come out, you'll take your time and you'll learn the dialogue and you'll get it. You'll be okay. But every night, this was her conversation because every night I was like, oh, I'm going to quit. I just had I graduated after nine weeks. When I got back to New York, she was living and working in Boston at the time. She graduated from Northeastern. She said, Mom, your graduation present is in Boston, so you have to come up to Boston for your present. I said, okay. So I got on a bus, went up to Boston, and then she had this beautiful outfit for me to wear and fancy shoes. She said, your graduation present is waiting for you. You have to put this on. So we get in a car that she had arranged. She took me to Tina Turner's concert, and it was her last concert in 2008 when she her final tour the comeback final tour we sat in front row seats and she said now mom i want you to know that if she can stand on a stage at almost 70 in stilettos you can get on a podium and teach yoga that was my graduation gift wow so that's my daughter she would come to the studios and watch me teach this class and watch people be transformed she just was mesmerized with what bob's music could do so when I had the idea to start the company, I'm right there with you. And so we would sit up. We had some of the, we named the company three o'clock in the morning because we lived together by this point. She had moved back in with the economy. You know, when, when you're working with your daughter or someone in your family, you work around the clock because you're always there. And so by three o'clock in the morning, we'd be brainstorming. We came up with the name One Firelight over a haagen meal at three o'clock in the morning. No, no, it, wasn't, it was Ben and Jerry's. I won't forget. Get it right. It was Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And we were sitting there at three o'clock in the morning. We were trying to think of the name of this company. And we took the name from Bob's song, No Woman, No Cry. And he talks about being impoverished in Trenchtown with other young people, Peter and Bunny, right? His, his uh, eventual whalers buddies. And there was a guy named Georgie who was the elder. He kind of looked after these young people and brought them together and in the evenings, he'd light a fire and bring these kids around the fire so they stayed out of trouble. And he would make cornmeal porridge on that fire and then feed them. So these kids found community and love and safety and a sense of purpose and belonging. And I said, that's the name. That's what we're trying to build is a company that offers all of those same qualities. And so we named the company One Firelight, the idea of bringing us all together as one. And we wanted to use his music, you know, infuse his music into the workout experience, if you will, the fitness, the wellness experience. And we thought there was room for it. You know, you have lots of cookie cutter kinds of opportunities to take classes. You know, if it's a fitness or a cardio class, it's going to be blaring techno music. And we said, it doesn't have to be. It could be One Love. It could be boxing to Could You Be Loved. You know, it's got an upbeat tempo, but there's a message in the music. And that's what we were seeking to do, to bring that message of Bob and that beautiful healing energy that I know for a fact exists and combine it with 
wellness modality to bring a different kind of healing energy to the world at a time when I think we really need it. Now, Catherine, with all the things that you've accomplished, what do you feel most proud of? Oh, my gosh. I think the thing that has given me the most pride, honestly, in life is um, motherhood. Mm-hmm. It's given me the most pride. And in the idea of being able to work with my daughter. You know, she's strong, she's smart, she's focused, and we work together to build this company. So she is director of content development, and I watch her create. She literally found every instructor. She lived on social media, putting in hashtag fitness, finding people, direct messaging them, those who responded, but she set up a Zoom meeting and we'd interview them. They'd do a demo, send it to us using Bob's music. And then that's how we hired our first round of instructors. We have over 20 instructors that are amazing. She found them. She found them. And then when we moved into production, she found all of the locations where we actually shoot. And and part of our concept is we shoot all of our classes as as many as possible outdoors in nature. So that's part of the experience when you're taking one of our online classes, right, when you're streaming one of our classes, you're also seeing this beautiful natural setting, so it's peaceful just to even take the class while you're doing your burpees and your, 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 your squats and also your yoga flow. You know, you have this wonderful setting, you've got this beautiful music, and, it, and it's quite powerful, and she created all of that, so it's been a joy to work with her and to see her strengths, and, you know, and, you know we're family, so we know each other's strengths and weaknesses, and to see her grow and blossom and step into this power. And now we're just starting to launch, literally this week we're launching e-commerce. Our first online store is opening for uh, One Firelight. It's on the onefirelight.com website. It opens on Wednesday. And she has become the director of e-commerce and she has been figuring out exactly how we make that work. Finding and sourcing the products that we're going to be selling. So it's just been wonderful to watch her grow. And part of the joy is to create this you know, what we hope will be a very strong and successful business that she will inherit and, and have to run long after I'm gone. That's a joy. I was just going to ask you where you find your joy, but you know what? <laughs> I can tell where you find it. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with that experience in your life that completely changed the journey for you. That completely changed the journey for me. And you, you, you realize that there's no such thing as coincidence, and things happen for a reason. You know, in the very last day of Diana Sands' life, I had this urge. I had to go see her at Sloan Kettering in New York, and I went to the hospital. And I was able to see her, but by then she was comatose, eyes open, just staring, couldn't move. And the nurse said, you know, the doctors aren't sure if you're in a coma, you could hear, but I want you to go stand in her line of vision because she can't blink or move her eyes or anything. Just go stand in her line of vision and speak to her and, and just see. Maybe she can hear you. And so I spoke to her, and I told her how much I loved her. And I said, I know you can't speak, but I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to really, really try to focus. And if there's anything you want me to know, I just want you to think it. And I just felt this wave of love come in. And then when I opened my eyes, there were tears going down my face. So I knew that we had communicated. She died the next day. She died the next day. And she was 39 years old. Beautiful prime of life and just got this rare disease and was gone. And that's began my spiritual journey. That's when I said, okay, this was a woman who could light up a room just by walking into it, right? The energy that she had was phenomenal. So where does energy go? And that was my search. And that began my spiritual quest. It led me to yoga. It led me, and in my pain, I wind up in Jamaica. And who was the person that's there to catch me? Bob Marley. You know, lift me up. And, no, 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 no. You've got to keep living. No, you can't go. No, you have to lift 
and keep going. So there was all this spiritual understanding that I was going through, this spiritual awareness, and then getting into yoga, going to India, studying yoga and philosophy and meditation in India, and all of these things have come together, and having the MBA and the business training so that I could start a company, you know, find investment, build a company, build the right team to create this company. I'm very, very proud of what we've been able to build. And so then it was my daughter and, a, and a, another good friend who was co-founder, Three women built this company, and it's pretty exciting. You know, this is a conversation that I don't want to see end, but sadly, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, as we're wrapping up, what mm-hmm. do you want to leave our listeners with, Catherine, and how may they reach out to you? Well, they can reach out to us at onefirelight.com. Come and check out our website. Come and see our new store and have some fun there. And also, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook as One Firelight. You can find us on Instagram at One Firelight. Please, please, please come follow us. We're looking to build up our following and our connections. We also have a YouTube channel, so you can find us there. Everything is in the name of One, O-N-E, OneFirelight.com. And something that I would, I'd like to leave your listeners with is, you know, our, our focus is on bringing the body, mind, spirit experience to all of fitness, not just yoga, but everything can come from a body, mind, spirit space. And so we believe that everything that we're creating is designed to calm your mind, move your body, and nourish your soul. And whether your listeners do that with us on One Firelight or in some other way, my hope is that they will always be aware of the idea to calm your mind, always move the body, even if it's just for 10 minutes in a day or five minutes. Don't sit at a computer all day long and not get up and stretch and move. We're doing all this work with crystals. We're doing crystal workouts. And so I recommend keeping crystals by your desk so you can use them to stretch and of course you're getting the benefit the natural energy of the crystals while you're moving or you're just getting your blood flowing you're getting your energy moving you're getting blockages out of the way you're calming your mind so calm your mind move your body nourish your soul Catherine I thank you so much for the time that you have spent with us all of Catherine's links are going to be live on wordofmomradio.com so you'll be able to follow one fire light everywhere, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. You have to come back. You have to come back with your daughter oh. and as your store is growing and everything else. Let's get the two of you in here to talk about the e-commerce that. side of your we business and how you. you've established that. So I would love to have you back. We're just starting it. So. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and, you know, for all of you tuning in, it is never too late to start working on your dreams. Dreams don't end, and they don't start unless you make them happen. So go for it. It's never, ever, ever too late. So, Catherine, thank you so much for being here. For all of you tuning in, thank you for joining us. We are going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure, she is sure, she is strong, she is strong.